1: Pace with Alex and Fauci Alex and Fauci Alex and Alex If I put our jacks in the paint How you gon' stop me? How you gon' stop me? We can go head to head Call out your top three Call out your top three Look at the switch from Dorte. Now that boy got three We got Holly Burton run the point This is the Benedict for the shot If anybody gon' come in the post Then we got Jalen Smith Monday, everybody. We are doing a mailbag podcast for you. You're probably going to be listening to this on a Tuesday, but it is our Monday mailbag as we try to do here frequently on Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. I'm joined today by the one and only Michael J. Focci. Focci, let people know where you just got back from over the weekend.
2: Oh my God. You guys, Alec, Alex is sick. I mean, he he gave <laughs> me a call over the weekend. He goes, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm actually going to visit my, my brother down in DC. And he's like, just couldn't stay away from the Wizards, could you? And I was like, why did I even tell him what I was doing? I, I was like, but, why did you tell me that? That is just like ammo for me. <laughs> I just thought a, a friendly trip to see my brother and some friends would just be that. But instead, it's another way for Alex to throw a jab in there. But you know what? Hey, I'm back from D.C. And uh, man, I know there ain't much in the news these days, but I'm still excited as ever to talk to Pacer Basketball today.
1: Yeah, I think one of our listeners and someone that sent a question in Rooster, they were teasing you on on social media. They said, who's your favorite NBA team and why is it the Wizards?
2: (laughs) Yep, I was like, oh, this guy over here. But hey, no, I I always, always appreciate our loyal listeners. So if we could ever make you laugh in any way, hey, feel free to make fun of me then because, you know, the
1: joy you guys give us, I love to give it back. Absolutely, Fachi. Well, let's jump right into it. I'll start off. Question comes here from Zach. He said, what's your favorite matchup to watch with the Pacers and favorite in the NBA? He said he loves watching Miami versus San Antonio for the coaching reasons.
2: You know, and I think that that's a great point. I mean, hey, the, those those two teams, San Antonio and Miami, they had quite a run in, in the finals for a bit. For me, I loved, you know, just to back it up a bit, I loved when it was Pacer-Knicks. When I was growing up in New York, like, Pacers and Knicks were such a rivalry then Pacers Pistons and then there was Pacers versus Miami and then now I feel like I don't know I feel like we don't really have like a true rival right now because there's been so much turnover you know with the Pacers and NBA overall so you know outside of the Pacers having a rivalry I mean I really don't know I I, you know Cavs versus Warriors had a solid run for a while and they were going to the finals but uh, I just wish we had a rival that each year we could be like, oh man, these games are gonna be intense.
1: Yeah, I, I think for me with the Pacers right now, like it's it's tough. I still think that there's been some recent bad blood between us and Miami that I Definitely. do get a little bit amped up for those games, even though they've been on the wrong side of them a lot.
2: Mm-hmm, yeah.
1: Um, the Pacers. I think another one that's kind of fun, but it's not like something that's about a rivalry. But I think the games have been fun, have been Indiana versus Golden State. Um oh, yeah. the two he games last year. Now.
2: Yeah, we've been on two, a good end of that. Yeah.
1: Well, that one, we had a big one. I think Justin Holiday hit the game winner right, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Uh, Chris Duarte played really well in that game. They beat us in a very close game at home in December. And I I believe back when, like, Steph and them were just start, uh, starting to get going, Roy Hibbert and the Pacers era got into it with, like, David Lee and Steph and Clay and all them. So, yep. I mean, that was a little bit of a rivalry. So, I guess, like, Western Conference, I always enjoy those games. And then, of course – Just seeing the Pacers versus LeBron. I mean, those games have always been really fun, too. Um, In terms of, like, favorite in the NBA, that's a tough one. I thoroughly enjoy watching Milwaukee play. I'm a huge Giannis fan. Uh, Probably my favorite player, like, superstar-wise, outside of, like, you know, rooting for the Pacers. I always kind of root for him to win because I just like him as a person. Um, But I will have to say, like, watching Phoenix play Dallas in the playoffs is really fun, and I'm kind of looking forward to seeing that matchup for the future because I love the Luca versus Devin Booker stuff because Mm -hmm. uh, all the, all the off court, like not off court, but like all the stuff in the middle of the game where they're like making fun of each other. Like I thoroughly enjoyed that.
2: I think those two teams have a chance to maybe become rivals where it's like Luca and Devin Booker are so young. They're like, I'll admit I did like that. I I do love me some Luca. So like, I feel like when Luca turned it on and they really like were, were beaten on the suns, like you could see like that was getting fun, but yeah, I just feel like there's been so much turnover in the NBA that you're not getting those same rivalries as, as you did before, you know, when we were younger and growing up. So I hope we can get some consistency because I really do think that, you know, gets the fans really invested.
1: Absolutely, Flash. You next ready for the next question
2: one? We have Matthew. He said, barring trades, how do you see the depth chart at center going into the season? Obviously, turnover will start, but is. Tice, Jackson, or Bataze the first off the bench? And how do you see minute distribution?
1: Yeah, this is a good question. I think we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but not like in depth. I think it'd be fun to do an exercise of where we kind of make up our own rotation. Fachi, mm-hmm. just, well, we've done that before on the podcast and other podcasts do that as well. So I don't want to like, you know, dive into it too much, but yeah. I don't know how much Tice really factors into it. If Turner's still on the roster. Um, and I think you're, you're right here between Jackson and Bataze. Um, For me personally, looking at how many guards we have, if you're trying to play O'Shea at the three, then I think there's a chance Jackson plays the four, but Tadze plays the five. But I think for the small ball lineup, it would probably be Isaiah Jackson for me getting that first nod at the center position, even though he's a bit undersized. I think there's times we're going to see him and Turner play together this year. I think they really wanted to see that last year, but this year they will have more of an opportunity. And I think Goga... Depending on the matchup, he'll get some run, but it's going to have to be against centers that are a little bit bigger. I think if you're looking at a team that plays a little bit faster, maybe a little bit smaller, that's where you go with Isaiah Jackson at that at that five. But long-term future here, I think Isaiah Jackson is a prospect you should invest the most in, so that's who I think they're going to do it in. And I, I mean, I think you're probably looking at 20 to 22 minutes a game, 24 minutes a game for Isaiah Jackson um, if he's getting that role, I think if it's a go, you're looking anywhere from 18 to 20. And that's probably the best I can see it. And then Turner will get the the most minutes out of anybody. Uh, if you're playing Isaiah, Isaiah Jackson, like 24, you're probably looking at Turner close to like 28, 30.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, obviously with you, obviously Turner starting over there, Daniel Tice is someone I just do not know where to really put my my thumb on it of like, you know, what what is this guy's role? Is, is he going to be here? Is he not? I know we'll get into that a little bit later on, but I'm with you. I see Isaiah Jackson as the primary backup center. I think he'd also be the primary backup for it. He's going to be just that, you know, it it, it all depends on what O'Shea is really doing over there, just like you mentioned. But I see Isaiah Jackson as he should be the backup center over there behind Turner. Um, And then at that point, Tice. I don't know. I mean, how active is he going to be? Is he just going to be an insurance type center over there? Go was going into the final year of the, of his contract over there where you, you got to know, are you doing this or not? Um, so man, uh, as a, as a minute breakdown, I guess I overlooked this initially, but last year <laughs> I said, Isaiah Jackson played uh 15 minutes per game. I would really like to see him in that 22 minute per game category, like right over there. Uh, Turner, He played last year 29 and a half minutes per game. I mean, hey, there's no Sabonis over there. You would think he could be heading towards, I don't know, 30 plus. It's really not that big of a difference, but you would expect an uptick in minutes. Tice, I really, I mean, how many minutes are you looking at for Tice? I really don't know here.
1: I would say zero right now. Just that's
2: what, yeah,
1: he's not going to be in the rotation unless there's that's, foul that's trouble. What I'm saying
2: I'm at the zero to ten mark where it's just like maybe it could be a couple minutes here. Yeah. It could be a stretch where he's not really even seen. You know, I, I think that it's looking like that. But I feel like Goga in the final year needs some run, but it might not be consistent run. Hopefully he's in in the rotation over there. But at times it would surprise me if he's just not. But if the Pacers really aren't playing for anything. You know why not be giving him some run?
1: Yeah, I think a couple things here. One, if Turner's on the roster, you're still trying to look at maybe uh, getting a shared value a little bit up. We're going to talk about that later. But I also think one thing to point out is Rick Carlisle does not keep a consistent rotation. I think we Mm -hmm. learned that early on last year. He does play with a bunch of lineups over the course of the season. And with the team kind of being in that mode where they're probably looking for more losses and wins to try to get a chance at Victor Wimbiniama, I truly believe that this is a team when you're looking at this rotation specifically where guys are going to probably play some games and then be off the next night. So it wouldn't surprise me if we see, you know, Isaiah Jackson maybe get cut short of the rotation sometimes and maybe go get a chance every once in a while, uh, not because they're punishing Isaiah, but they just got to find opportunities to develop these young guys. And I think if they're keeping Goga, they got to give him a chance to prove himself once again and give him an actual consistent role because uh, if they don't, then it's like, really? Like, I get it. Like, me and you both think that it's time to move on from Goga, probably. Yeah. But at the same time, if you're unwilling to trade him to create the cap space for a guy like DeAndre Ayton, that's a me shed some light on what they're thinking about maybe Gogo's a long term like this is a chance for him to prove it so um that's where I'm at with that did you have any other thoughts on that or Are you ready to move on
2: no I just the last thing I'll throw in is and we've talked about it for a while like Gogo showed more last year than in his previous seasons like yes the team was at its worst but like we did see him have games uh, you know dropping you know 15 to 20 points and racking up a bunch of blocks and there were some games where the three ball did look good. Like not many of them, but there were some. So it's just like, yeah, you're right. If they weren't going to just flat out cut them or or dump them or anything like that in a lost year, it's like, you might as well take one last look at him compared to a guy, you know, like Tice that, you know, is not going to be here long, long term. Maybe he's here for the year, but at that point, he Goga's still 23 years old. Like yeah. there, there could be something there, not maybe much, but it could be something. Nah, pa- ready to
1: move on. Yeah, the Pacers don't want to make the same mistake the Suns made with Jalen Smith and cut a guy yeah. too early in his career. So, but they got to find playing time for him. That's the biggest thing here. But let's move on. Dustin said, "Can you please explain to me how the Pacers view TJ McConnell as an NBA level backup point guard?" Shaking my head while deeming Lance is borderline not worthy of a roster spot. Lance is greater than TJ. I think I saw this tweet when it happened,
2: Dustin. It might have been someone else, but I know where you're coming from because you're coming from the, like, if these two players played one-on-one, like, Lance would absolutely cook McConnell. However, there's far more to basketball than just that. McConnell is guaranteed $21 million out of the $25 million left on his deal. While Lance isn't owed a dollar, McConnell is like an assistant coach on the court and in the locker room, just a fantastic teammate. While Lance might be a real good teammate, it's for like a different type of teammate, you know, like keeps the keeps the mood light, you know, makes guys laugh, like looks for, you know, a pass for others, you know, whatever. But two years ago, McConnell finished second in the league in steals and most assists off the bench. That was just two years ago. Uh, he was a menace. But the offense didn't seem to fit him last year. He's not a good three-point shooter, barely played due to the wrist injury. I could see why people are very down on McConnell and then very much like, well, why are we going to give up on Lance? Like, he looked good last year. And Lance, for Lance's standards, did look good last year. But one guy is owed $21 million. The other guy is not owed anything. That's got to factor in.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, Fletcher. there on the money. I'll just say this real quick, Dustin. Um, T.J. McConnell is a good basketball player. Um, He's got a lot of good qualities to his game. He's good at, you know, initiating offense. He's good at being pesky defensively, getting a lot of steals, like Fauci mentioned, you know, leading the league in steals, right? So, I mean, it's one of those things where T.J. McConnell does little things that don't show up on the stat line all the time. And he's able to get the the team going with his fast pace. And he's got his head on a swivel. He's always looking for guys. Where I love Lane Stevenson. I think he's a fun player to watch. He's a fun part. He means a lot to this organization in this fan base because of going through the ups and downs of watching him basically grow up on the court and become a huge piece for us in the playoffs. That ain't the same Lance. I mean, that was eight, nine years ago, Fauci. So I think sometimes people forget that and they live in the glory days. Uh, Lance definitely has some things that he can do that McConnell can't Lance can score. Lance can, you know, bulldoze through guys going to the rim because of his, uh, you know, upper body strength. But I think TJ McConnell is a quality backup point guard, does a lot of the little things. And I think that he's a, uh, he's a coach's son, right? So I think that that is a reflection of who he is on the court. Um, I thought we had heard from Jay Michael before the season started that this was a Pacers move or a front office move, not a coaching decision because Rick Carlisle likes guys that can shoot the three and that he wasn't big on McConnell. But I was told later throughout the year that basically the Pacers are very high on T.J. McConnell, not just the front office, but the coaching staff. And if they were to trade him, that Rick Carlisle would be very against that. So with that being said, I think that Rick Carlisle really trusts him, and that's the main reason why he's here. But the biggest thing, too, is better player, and he's already under contract for the next three years, Fachi.
2: Yeah, I, absolutely. I'm on board with that. And I think that McConnell could wake a lot of people up this year because, you know, due to the wrist injury, he, he really barely played last year. So mm-hmm. uh, it's very easy to forget that he's a real good player that fits a lot of teams. Um, but look, we're always going to have that soft spot for Lance regardless. So that'll yeah. never go away. But next question, we have Architect x 22 said, so we agree the Pacers need more taller wings slash small forwards. However, when I look through the league, it seems that most, in parentheses, 70% of the league, is similar playing 6'5 to 6'7 guys. Um, Are we underestimating playing Matherin, Duarte, Neesmith at the wing?
1: I don't think so because the problem is other teams have wings that they can play or they've drafted wings that they're kind of grooming to be that, where the Pacers literally only have one, and that's O'Shea Bursette. So – yeah, I'm sure that Matherin, being six foot five, six foot six, whatever he's listed as, you know, um, he's big enough upper body strength wise to hang with these guys. I don't think one to two inches is making that big of a difference, Fachi, in my opinion. But you want to see guys like in that six, eight, six, nine range that can guard one through four, where I don't feel like those guys can hang with the guys like Tobias Harris. And that's what you want, like that type of player that's probably more of a four, but can play a three. You just don't have guys that can guard like that. So personally for me, you can never have enough wings based on how the NBA is going. I mean, I look at what the Clippers have done with their roster and they are jam-packed full of wings. So I, I wish that the Pacers had more, you know, in their back pocket, but I-, I would say that for this season, it's not a big deal, but moving forward, um, I-, I do think that it's going to be problematic. And I think that's something that they're probably going to try to address. Uh during the draft if they're unable to get Victor Wanyama i think they're going to look for another wing type of player but at the same time you know who knows what's going to happen in 11 months so uh overall i just feel like we're not underestimating it but i do think that they can hold up for this season
2: yeah, I mean, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see because, you know, break it down. Look, Duarte played, you know, a lot of the two last year. Matherin hasn't logged NBA minutes yet. And then Neesmith wasn't on team. So, you know, we do want to wait and see, you know, what's over there because we've talked about a lot. Hey, if Matherin's starting at the two, then you got to, sw- you know, slide Duarte down to the three. But at the same point, you can't have enough of, of, these, of, of these wings. You can't. And then when you're talking about the Clippers, I mean, I just feel like, paul george and quiet letter those are like your prototypical wings where yeah. it's like they just don't grow on trees man no. it's crazy that we had one of them but well, technically could have had two of them but you know what it, it, it's that's a whole story for another day anyway Come on, man look, really i know we don't need to go down that route anyway look halliburton was quite complimentary of and size and strength to guard wings that I, I feel like it's it's going to be interesting. I want to see it happen, but until we've seen it happen, it's all right to say, you know, are we, are we underestimating them? Maybe we are, but I want to, I want to see it first, but at the same point to your point, yeah, get as many wings as you can.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I'm just kind of looking at their roster. Now the the Clippers, I mean, you got Marcus Morris, you got Robert Covington, you got Nicholas Batum. Um, You've also got Amir Coffey who's six foot seven. So, I mean, I'm just talking Rodney hoods on that roster now too, at six foot eight. You just got a lot of lengthy guys that are a little bit taller. And, uh, you know, I think that it does make a difference just because of their ability to do what they want to do. But moving on, Walter wants to know, at what point will Miles Turner's trade value be the highest? So
2: there's two different dates or so that you could do it. A, could be after December 15th when players who just signed are eligible to be traded or flat out at the trade deadline. So I'm going to lean towards the trade deadline because – Usually that's when teams are faced with a, Hey, it's now or never. If we're going to upgrade this team. But also another thing, miles has started the last few years. Hot from three, like shooting 40%. And then it's kind of dwindled off. So if you are to make a move a little bit earlier and the Pacers do tend to make moves, you know, they, they've, they've made some moves a little bit earlier in the season. Like when they traded Victor Oladipo, no one really expected that. Or, you know, for, uh, for, for, they traded Levert before the eh, – actually it was right around the deadline, actually. So I, I would say the, the trade deadline because I, I think teams' uh, backs are against the wall. But last year, if Miles was healthy at the deadline, I think he would have been really appealing for teams looking at him to have a year and a half left on his deal.
1: So I leave yeah. that. Yeah, no, I, I think you bring up some good points. I don't think it's before the season starts at yeah. all. Um, Not at all. Right now his value is pretty low. I would say it's – Probably at his lowest than where it's going to be all season. I think that if he's able to, unless he gets hurt again. So that uh, that's the caveat there. But I do think like if Miles is able to come back and play really well with Halliburton, I think there's two things you got to look at here. If the Pacers are losing a lot, Miles' value is not going to increase that much, even if he's averaging 20, 10, and three. I'm just going to be honest with you because they're going to say, well, he's on a bad team padding stats. We're not buying into that that much. He's going to take a lesser role on a team that trades for him. Okay. That's kind of where you have to look at that. Now, if the team is playing about 500 ball in the first couple of months, and it's because Turner is having a big impact as that solo center, then his value is going to be at the highest. I think come the trade deadline, you're going to have more suitors, though, because teams Agreed. are going to start getting more desperate, which doesn't necessarily make his value higher, but I do think that there will be more suitors. Well, we also know Miles didn't get it to the trade deadline last year, so how do the Pacers manage his minutes? You know, you talked about thirty minutes on the first question or second question, whatever it was, and that's the thing. Are they going to monitor his minutes? Are they going to sit him on back to backs? Are they going to try to take care of his body overall? Number one, so he can get that extension that he wants, and number two, they can get that trade that they want. So, I think that's another thing to look at here—a big factor in all of this. But I would say that it's probably before the deadline, and I I, I mean, I'm talking like maybe middle December, maybe uh, early January, when teams don't necessarily feel as forced to make the trade, but a team calls and says, hey, we'll offer this because they don't want to have to be competing against other teams for Turner at that point. But I, I go back to what happened during the offseason when the Rockets traded Christian Wood. And I kind of feel like that's what you're going to get back in return for Miles Turner in terms of value um, just because he's on that expiring contract and teams are probably looking at him as on a bad team, like Christian Wood is with the Rockets, a team that's tanking and, His value might not be as high as the Pacers want it to be, so you're talking about uh, a bad first probably and salary filler to go with it. But I blame the Pacers honestly for kind of devaluing Miles by constantly having his name in trade rumors for the past five years. Oh, easily they they've done it to themselves, and so now they're getting to a point where unless he just balls out and they want to extend him, that they're going to be you know trading twenty five cents on the dollar in terms of you know trade value here, Fudge.
2: I just feel like whatever trade is to happen, people aren't going to be thrilled with it. They'll be the no. camp that's that's just like, all right, great, like the 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 rumors are over. We got a pick, but then it's like, I don't know what if, what if it isn't a pick and it's just like, man, that's the best we can do. But you got to always imagine that the front office knows more than the fans do, and yeah. if they know he's not going to resign, then whatever deal they'll take, I'm sure will be the best deal that was on the table. Similar to. You know, the Paul George deal, just to quickly go off off on this, not a whole thing, but like we all thought like Sabonis and Ola Deep. What what is this? They got two players that were under contract for a few years that still had a lot of promise to them when everybody was was pretty uh pretty uh unpleased with, with that deal when it first happened. And mm-hmm. you know, that's so you just gotta trust the, the front office when they finally pull trigger on a deal it'll be because there was not really any other better deals out there.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. It's going to be tough overall just to try to, like, get the actual value that he's worth, in my opinion, mm-hmm. or because I, I think they've just devalued him so much. It's like everybody knows they're trying to get rid of him. So it's like, okay, what are we really going to give up? Who are we really competing against? And what are we willing to offer? But I think there are a few teams out there that make a lot of sense for him that I think the Pacers could be interested in, and maybe we can get to that later. But – um In terms of, like, overall fit, though, I just – he could fit in Indiana for sure. But at the same time, um, I just feel like the writing is on the wall with everything. And I I think the Pacers are more eager to move on than maybe I think that is being portrayed out there. I don't think Miles is as eager to move on maybe as people think. but I think the Pacers might be more eager to move on because um, I I think uh, the writing is on the wall of how they've handled trying to upgrade the center position.
2: They're they're cleaning house, and and we know that if it worked out with Eaton Turner would have been moved. I mean they they did everything they possibly could to move on, and it didn't work. And now we're in this awkward spot. So it seems like they're they're going to continue to you know take calls, maybe make calls, whatever it is. It's hard to believe what the front office is going to say because they'll say they weren't actively shopping them yet. They they were. So take the the. You're going to have a different stance on this every single week. One week it's going to be like, well, they're not moving. them. They just said they're not going to move. them. It's like, okay, but it's also a business. They're going to take calls on everybody. So that's where it is. We're cleaning the house right now. And there's honestly very few Pacers that were even on the team just uh, three years ago. Mm -hmm. So next question we have, Aaron said, if you could go anywhere in the world for two weeks, where would you go? Um. So, Alex, what do you got?
1: Man, this is tough. I'm not a traveler. I never have been. I I've never really gone out. I've never gone out of the United States. That's for uh, for sure. Here, Uh, all right. I'm new every day. uh, Yeah, and I've honestly like I've been to the West Coast a little bit. Like, I took a trip from Indiana all the way to Salt Lake City, and that was like a 27 hour drive. But I didn't really like get to like see like the Grand Canyon and stuff like that. So I thought like a really cool like two week long West Coast road trip would be kind of fun. But then I thought, like, really, out of all the places in the world, like, I'd want to just go to the west coast of the United States of America. Um, Yeah. I've heard a lot of great things about New Zealand and how beautiful that is. So I think that'd be interesting to go to. But I'm really into, like, history and stuff. So I feel like Rome would be cool. Um, I think Italy is just a really cool country. So uh, I'd probably go more that type of type of way. But it's tough for me. Pachi, what about you?
2: Yeah, so you brought up a good point with Australia. I, I I've always wanted to go to Australia. I guess I slept on them a little bit when I was answering this question, but uh, initially Hawaii was always at the top of my list of places I wanted to go to. Fortunately, I was able to go there for two weeks for my honeymoon. I, I would I would highly recommend it to anybody. It was amazing. But then after that, Italy or Spain. I, ironically, I have been to both places. It's back in twenty fourteen, but. You know, I was younger, you know, it was just, I don't know, you wanted to, oh, it's you know, let's 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 go out, and party, have fun now. I feel like there's a lot of like pure beauty that I would like to see over there. Uh, a lot of historic stuff. Uh, the, the food over there was phenomenal, the beaches are great. That's another trip I would like to do over again. So I would say, you know, Italy, Spain, Australia, those would be the places that come to mind.
1: I don't remember saying Australia. Did I say that?
2: You said new oh, you said New Zealand. That's what okay.
1: You said. <laughs> I was I, like, did I, I say? I was like, did I say Australia? I was thinking about Australia (laughs) too. know we got a lot of Aussie listeners that listen to our show. Um, I would definitely love to come out there sometime probably just to check it out. Uh, It'd be cool to just see kangaroos wherever you go. Um, But Mm -hmm. you know, there's just so many places to travel. Like I, I would honestly just want someone to go with me that knows what they're doing and take me to see all the coolest places in the world. Um, Cause I'm not like a major traveler, like I said, I've never been to New York City, Boston, that area. Like I would love to go see all that. It's kind of like retirement, like ideas, like I want to like kind of travel, like go to every basketball arena, watch the Pacers God, play. That would be
2: amazing.
1: That's like a bucket list of mine. I know that sounds crazy, but I would love to just see every NBA arena and watch the Pacers playing every single one. Like that'd be like a retirement bucket list thing to do. Maybe me and you can do like a 40 years from now, Fachi, do that. <laughs> That would be cool. (laughs) That would be hilarious if we're still doing this in 40 years, but you never know. Um, uh, But with that being said, I think that's interesting. Anything else on this? You want to take a quick break? Let's
2: take a quick break.
0: All right, we'll be right back after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
1: All right. So the second half here, of part one, the first question comes from Randall. He said, what player lineup are you looking forward to the most Fachi?
2: I'd say Haliburton, Matherin, Duarte, Jalen Smith and Ijax. I think yeah. that that's like, that's like the, the young core. Everyone's like under contract for the next few years. Haliburton will be getting that extension. So it just feels like that's our like, you know, super, super potential lineup The other lineup, you know, uh, would be Hal Burton, Matherman, Duarte, Jalen Smith, and Miles. So we never got to see that. But I'm going to be honest, I'm a, I'm a big Ajax guy. I really yeah. believe in him. I want to see him flourish. So I feel like it would be awesome if he can grow into that starting center for us. You know, that that would really be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I think, like, based off of our, you know, our opening song, Fachi, our intro, those five players right there yeah. are the five yeah. that we're probably most excited about. But one guy that always Fair gets point. slept on is O'Shea Bersett. So, part of me would like to see, um, you know, O'Shea with either Jalen or Ijax. But I would probably put uh, Jalen at the five, O'Shea at the four, Uh, Matherin, Duarte at the two and the three, and then Halliburton at the one. I think that could be a really fun lineup because you're playing a little bit more small ball. Um, Ijax would be fun with that group as well. And part of me wonders what, like, Aaron Neesmith would look like in that O'Shea Brissett spot as well. Like, just a young guy that I think they're really hoping can fit in with this group. So, Any of that combination would be exciting to me, but, you know, I know Isaiah Jackson's like the future, but also I I think about this, if they really thought he was the answer at center, why would they go after DeAndre Aiden for a four-year max contract? I don't think he's anywhere near ready to take that spot. He's
2: not. He's not. So
1: he's probably two or three years away from really being, you know, great. I would say O'Shea is better than him right now for sure. So Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, moving moving forward for this season, I would personally like to see just that, that lineup that you had basically, but O'Shea instead of Ajax.
2: Okay. All right. I, I very much respect it. So is Jalen Smith sliding down at center?
1: Oh, yeah. I know he's starting power forward, but he's going to slide on over to that five right. to close out the game. And uh, talk about three-point shooting out there from Matherin, Halliburton, Jalen Smith, Ooh, yeah. and Duarte. I mean, O'Shea can knock them down, but I mean – What's his percentage? I don't even remember. Is he like 738% okay. uh, or is he lower?
2: It could be a little bit lower. I'll look I, it up. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, uh, all right. Let's see. I got it right here. All right. So, oh, last year, th- uh, mm, nope. Let's see. It's coming up. <laughs> this coming is terrible up. for radio. Oh,
1: man, I, like, clicked
2: on an ad when I was going for it.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, Last year he shot 36.6%. There
2: you go. That, that, that's that's solid. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, th- there's there's promise there. No,
1: you know? 35% last year, 35% last year. That was his projection for this coming year. Why would they ah, do that? I don't gotcha. know. But 35%, yeah. so not great. But, you know, yeah. the other guys around him look pretty good in a Pacers uniform shooting from three, so except Matherin, yeah. obviously. <laughs> I, I do, yeah, I
2: do think, though, this could be a very big year for O'Shea. I mean contract year going into it i feel like now he's he's been around these teammates he's been someone that kind of started to carve out his role still not a definite role but you know i would love to see him flourish in indiana and get an extension because we got the money it's like rewarded you know it's not like i don't think he's gonna be getting this crazy extension but we can you know lock him up for a couple years give him a raise i think i think that'd be awesome
1: hmm absolutely let's keep it moving punch
2: next we got rooster someone we were talking about earlier he said if you had your choice between the pacers missing the playoffs this year and getting a top five pick or making the playoffs winning the first round and losing in the second
1: which would you pick no brainer here miss the playoffs get a top five pick no fence rooster but i'm tired of seeing the pacers in the playoffs barely getting out of the first round and getting their butts kicked in round two. Like this team is not even close to making the playoffs. So uh, with this current roster, I mean, I think is a pretty obvious answer. I mean, getting that top five pick would be huge. Um, I don't know if, you know, even if you miss out on Wimanyama, like this draft class is considered one of the most deep draft classes we've had in a long time. So getting top five in this class makes a ton of sense. And I think the paces are tanking at the perfect time because this is a draft tank.
2: It, it really is. Honestly, like, there's always that part of me that just feels, like, dirty when I'm like, oh, no, give me the worst team possible. But, look, the, the key was, Rooster, when you said winning a playoff series, because the Pacers haven't won a playoff series in, in quite some time, dating back to actually the conference finals days. Um, so it's it's been tough out there. But a top five pick, oh, my God, it would be monumental to pair with this young core right over here. Because say the Pacers win, you know, in the first round, you know, what they pick, you know, 19th overall, you're like stuck in that. Like, who is this draft pick that we're bringing on? Like, where do we go from here? But you bring on a top five talent again, a guy that could be on a somewhat similar level of a Benedict Matherin. All of a sudden this Pacers team is loaded with crazy good talent for years to come all on cheap contracts. That's really the key right there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at a team like Cleveland that was just stuck in mediocrity for a long time, and I know last year they barely missed the playoffs, right? But they got through Evan Mobley last year. So it's okay for them to, like, get into the playoffs and maybe have a competitive first round or maybe even win round one and lose round two because they're trying to establish that culture. But they've already got that number one guy. Right now the Pacers are hoping – that Halliburton or Matherin can maybe become that number one guy. But I think there's still some people that believe that they're probably more like that, you know, B level star. That's not that A level yet. And so the Pacers are really trying to find that. Haven't had a top five pick since Rick Smith's, right? So that's why this is so important to get back into that. Obviously Rick Smith's was not an A level star, but with this talent that's coming in, there's a lot of wings out there and that's a position we desperately need. So uh, obviously you're, you're, Best player in the in the draft is a center, power forward, center. So, um, kind of just a freaking nature, right? So, oh, like that's man. that's why everybody's like all in. Like, there's like five or six teams that are like all in on tanking this year. But that's what I'm saying. Like, it it doesn't make any sense to like want to get this team into the playoffs right now because of how young they are. Uh, this is all about development this year and taking those losses for the better of for the betterment of the team
2: and the only thing worse than getting this Pacers team in the playoff would be not even being good enough to get in the playoffs, but also being too good to tank, where all of a sudden we finish with like the 11th overall draft pick, or like 13, something like that, would just be so brutal, because this is the year that you gotta bottom out, like you really do, and when you talk about you know, Victor being available over there. If Miles is heading towards free agency, all of a sudden you bring in, you know, Victor all for nowhere even close to what you were gonna pay Aiden. Whew. The, the options are endless at that point.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I also think one thing to keep an eye on here, Fachi, is you know, the reason why we heard the the Buddy Hill and Miles Turner rumors for Russell Westbrook, that just makes the team that much worse. So you well, know it's a, it's a bottoming out
2: type team right
1: there. it's it's exactly what i think would happen because they see the bigger picture like okay we'll get two future first round picks we really don't need more 2023 first round picks we already got three like sure we'll yeah. take like five of them if we can get them but at the same time it's like are you going to really draft all these guys and where's the roster spots for? them? like, no, you're not going to do that. So to me, it makes more sense to try to get those future picks. We kind of talked about this already, but I just wanted to bring that up because of how important that is. But let's move on. We've kind of stayed on this topic too long. This one comes from Jordan. We'll be able to answer this in pretty quick flash. He said, do you see Daniel Tice being on the roster opening day? If so, do you think he would stay the whole season?
2: a week ago two weeks ago i was like this man's never gonna don a pacer jersey like it's just not gonna happen now all of a sudden it's just like how much more cap room do we need to create like the pacers already have like like 31 and a half million dollars available in cap space so it's not like we need to just dump him for like a second round pick but at this point i mean if, if a team really needs that i know you brought up the clippers before it feels like too good of a fit like it's like that'd be perfect but I think Tice will probably be on the team. I don't know, you know, what we need to do to to trade him, what what really suitors there are out there. So I think he'll be on the team without much of a role unless there's an injury or anything. But I don't see him as a long-term piece on this team.
1: All right, Fauci, let's look at it this way. What is your percentage that he finishes the season as a Pacer? I guess like 33. Okay, so you think he gets dealt by the deadline?
2: Yeah, I, I think he very well could. If the Pacers are to make, like, a, you know, get involved in some type of deal, maybe like a three-team three, three team deal, I think Tice could be, you know, some salary that just kind
1: of fits in there. I mean, for crying out loud, Tory Craig got traded last year for Jalen Smith, okay? I, I don't think that's to be some three-team trade. I think personally for me it's just like a team I – lose a guy to an injury or, yeah. you know, there's, you know, and Tyson isn't really getting a whole lot of run or the Pacers play him a little bit here and there just to kind of keep his legs fresh, that kind of thing. Or I seem like golden state calls and they, you know, they need some center depth because somebody got hurt or, or whatever, you know, or, or someone not, comes knocking on your door, because like we said, the Clippers, they, they need some more center depth. They realize that they can't do it with just one center. So that to me is where I think Tyson come into plays at a very affordable contract for the next couple of years, good veteran. That's been on winning teams. Isn't going to be in that seven eight man rotation when you're talking about you know getting to the east or east or west finals or even the n b a finals, but he can give you minutes in the playoffs if you need him to so i I don't think it's out of question that he gets traded this year, but I do think that he will be on the roster opening day for sure.
2: Uh, at, at this point, I really do think that he's going to be on the roster open day just because, like I mentioned before, like, the Pacers don't need to clear any more salary for anything, so there's no rush to get him off. If he didn't have like guaranteed money moving forward, I think this man's definitely trade, getting it traded. But here's the thing. Looking at his contract right now, so he's got the $8.7 million this year, but then he's got $9.1 million guaranteed the following year. He's also got a 15% trade kicker. It's like there, there, there is enough money left on the deal for a team to not be in love with trading for him. Mm-hmm. So this could be one of those where he he finishes the year as a pacer, but then in the following year, it just kind of gets dumped into some some bigger deal like that. Either way, I don't see him having much of a role this year. I really don't.
1: Yeah, for sure. Let's move on to the next question.
2: All right. Coming up next, we have, uh, I believe this is Graham or Grammy.
1: I I didn't know how to pronounce this one. So let us know on Twitter how to pronounce your name next time, my man. I'm sorry about that.
2: Question question was, where do you think the Pacers' young core of Halliburton, Duarte, and Matherin stand against the rest of the league in terms of future potential? I recently read an article that had us seventh behind New Orleans, Cleveland, OKC, Detroit, Houston, and Orlando. Uh, By the way, I, I thought this was a really
1: good question over here. I completely agree. I thought it was a great question. And honestly, I think that this is probably right. Um, New Orleans has Brandon Ingram and Zion. Cleveland's got, like I said earlier, Evan Mobley, Darius Garland. Okay, see, they've got uh, Chet, which we're still waiting to see how he looks. But they've also got SGA, who I think is a really good player. Detroit's got Katie Cunningham. Houston's got Jalen Green. They've also got Jabari Smith. Uh, Detroit's also got Jaden Ivey. Excuse me, I don't want to throw that out there. Uh, and then Orlando, I mean, they got Fra- uh, Franz Wagner. They drafted Bon Carroll number one over all this year. They got Jalen Suggs. They've got Wanda Carter Jr. So I think looking at the Pacers' core against these teams, the Pacers are missing that guy that all these other teams have. So, you know, like Orlando getting Bon Carroll, Like, he was the number one guy on my board all year long, pretty much. So there's a reason why I, I think the Pacers are – Trying our our seventh in this group. I'm not sure what other groups you can maybe put against. So maybe Memphis has a better young core. I would say probably, um, but I don't know if you consider them the young. So I still do. Um, I'm yeah. not gonna be able to go through this whole exercise because there's too many teams that are young. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But from the teams you mentioned, I feel like putting Indiana there is fine. Uh, Halliburton is going to be an all star one day. I believe that. But Matherin, yep. the writing's still on the wall. I don't know yet. So um, I think he's going to be good, but I don't. I don't think he has the same ceiling as Paulo Boncaro. So that's why it's tougher for me to like give them the nod over. Like it team like Orlando, maybe Houston, but, um, but yeah, I, I believe in the encore Flash, but I definitely think that they're properly rated here based on this article.
2: Yeah. Honestly, my notes were like a spinning image of what you just said. I, I agree with being in seventh. I do yeah. because some of those teams already have all stars or number one picks. Mm-hmm. So while Houston, I, I think they're going to have a, a rough year. You're talking about having now, you know, uh, uh green is a number two overall pick. Jabari Smith is number three. It, it's just guys that have potentially higher ceilings or just really high ceilings. I love the Orlando young core. I really do. And honestly, you were right. The Grizzlies young core should have been there. Like they yeah. have a really talented young group. That's already winning games compared to the rest of this list. So yeah. I, I think they should definitely be in there, but I, I do see us, Hey, if they put us at sevens, I wouldn't complain about that because, you know, could I be biased at times towards our guys? Yeah, I could, but bottom line is Matherin hasn't played yet. Duarte played, you know, closer to like half a season. And I think the world of Halliburton, but he's obviously needs to continue to get better in order to elevate the rest of the group. So Seventh to me seems like honestly a great spot to be in. If you if you told me a, a year or two ago the Pacers are going to have the seventh best young core, I'd be looking around saying like, "Are you sure you said the Pacers?" You know, <laughs> because the, the rest of the group was like, you know, uh, you know, like a, you know, Brogdon and you know Warren and guys that are always hurt and you know pushing into their their thirties. So I, I'm I'm completely good with seventh on the list.
1: Yeah, for sure, Fachi. It's a it's a fun question though because it's it like- is. Great question. When you really rank them, it's just tough to look at because there's so many good young cores like Minnesota, like Anthony Edwards is in year three, right? So, like, he's a really yep. good player. Um, I think the Hornets have a good young core still, even though they've mm-hmm. got some veterans on there, like their young core of PJ Washington, LaMelo Ball, like, that's a good group. And uh, if Miles Bridges comes back and, and plays for them, like, he's a good player. So, like, that's a good young core as well. I'm just trying to think. Overall, like, uh, who else could be out there? But at this point, I, I think we kind of get the point. Let's move on to our last question here, part one, flashy of the Mailbag. Antoine said, so, Miles Turner stays. He's our starting center. What's he averaging in his contract year?
2: I think he could average 15 and 8 on 48% shooting and 38% from three if everything Whoa. goes well. How many yeah. blocks? How many blocks? Uh, 2.8. So it's a okay. little bit down from where it's been, but, like, just to just throw out ah three and a half just sounds crazy. But I know like maybe I'm underselling them. But at this point, I think you're fifteen points, you're talking about increasing by like close to three points per game. Rebounds, it's more of like improving by like half a rebound. But the field goal percentage comes down a little bit, but that's what comes with scoring a little bit more. And then the three-point percentage, that's really where he could make his money because the last couple of years we've seen it around 33-34%. So if he can have a year where he shoots thirty-seven to forty percent from three, that's really what's going to benefit him in free agency, and where you can get you know a, a couple extra points on the that stat sheet.
1: I'm going to go a little bit higher than you, Fashi, which sounds okay. probably crazy, but I'm going to go sixteen points, ten rebounds, ten rebounds. He's getting there, brother. I think, I think he's going to get there because I almost
2: fell out of my chair. I'm not trying to be a hater. But... 10 boards I'd love to see it I'd love it I'd love it I'll be the first person I "I love every second of this but 10 would stun me to average
1: he's gonna have to be aggressive on the boards this year to get the contract that he wants he's playing for more than just the team trying to make the playoffs he's playing for himself this season okay and he's gonna have to prove it like he wants to get paid okay Like, that's the bottom line. Like, he already said it in an article with Mark Spears. Great article, by the way, today, if you haven't read it. Um, But he basically said, like, I understand the pressure I'm under. Like, I'm in my contract year. He's going to have to prove it. Like, you talked about T.J. McConnell led the team and led the league in steals in his contract year. We know Turner can block shots. He's great at that. But I think having this lineup that he has and not playing next to Sabonis, like, there's going to be more chances for him to be aggressive and get the rebounds that maybe he wasn't getting previously. And with Jalen Smith being more of a three-point shooter than Sabonis, maybe he'll be closer to the rim to get more rebounds. A couple more, you know, three more rebounds a game is not that big of a deal to me. So I think he can do it. He's going to want to average close to a double-double with the three blocks to get his stock up. I, I think Christian would average close to 10 rebounds, didn't
2: he? Yeah, he did on just an atrociously horrible team. So I guess Miles could have an opportunity at it. But, yeah, you you made a good point. Savonis was like a vacuum on the rebounds. Like, yeah, that guy was averaging, you know, 11, 12 rebounds per game. So there should be a couple more to go around. I'm looking at it right now. Turner averaged 7.1 rebounds last year for his career at 6.7. So the jump to 10 would be a solid one. But I I do feel that the rebounding will increase. That's why I had him at right around 8, even if we split the difference and he averaged 9 rebounds. That would be awesome.
1: Yeah, last year Christian Wood averaged 17.9 points a game and 10.1 rebounds. So I think he can have similar stats. I don't think his shooting efficiency will be as good as maybe uh Woods was. He was 50% from the field. Not yeah. sure what he was from three. But you know, to me, it's just one of those things where I'm looking at those two players because I think they're both kind of in similar situations. They're not the same player, but they're probably more known for their, you know, outside game, not like really low post bangers, that kind of thing. But You know, I definitely think there's potential there. It looks like Christian Wood shot 39% from three last season. So if Turner could just do that for a year or half a season to kind of get his stock up, that would be huge.
2: That's what I'm saying. If he can shoot, if he can finish the year at 38% from three average, you know, nearly three blocks per game, you're going to be extremely coveted, like extremely in free agency. So that would get him quite the payday because. Like I've said before, you know, everyone always talks about, hey, Turner, oh, man, you know, the three-point shooting in the blocks. But lately, it's really just been the blocks. So mm-hmm. if he can get the three-point shooting up from the last two years at 33% up to 38 I mean, that is how you get paid.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it is just Miles' mentality. He's going to have to be super aggressive this year. And maybe, you know, maybe the coaching staff has, has already talked to him about, hey, we want to give you a chance to prove yourself this year, so let's go out and do it. But with that being said, Facci, this is the end of part one. Part two will be released tomorrow, so be on the lookout for that. But let the people know where they can find us out on social media.
2: Absolutely. So you could find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace Three. You could find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore facci. You could find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You could find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. Alex,
1: tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Go to YouTube.com slash Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast. Check out all of our interviews there that we put up there. There's some really good ones there. Lance Stevenson, Tyrese Halliburton, and we're about 20 subscribers away from 500. So ladies and gentlemen, tell your friends, tell your family, tell a stranger, tell your neighbor, tell the person you see at the grocery store or at the restaurant. Hey, go to YouTube and subscribe to Setting the Pace. That'd be great. But Fachi, with that being said, if you're excited for Daniel Tice, start up the season as an Indiana Pacer. Say these three words. Let's go Pacers!